It's really were amazing and uh, absolutely beautiful and uh, beautiful, beautiful music, inspiring today, praising God. Uh, we never walk alone and uh, Cassandra, uh, wow. And uh, And last summer, Cassandra came to MCCDC and just rocked, rocked, rocked the house. And it was incredible. And this morning, as the choir was singing, I found myself thinking, wouldn't it be just amazing if the MCCDC choir and the Resurrection Choir came together because both are so awesome. <laughs> and that actually happened back in 2011. And it was a wonderful, wonderful day at, at MCCDC. But I would long for that day to happen Again, two of the greatest choirs coming together in a beautiful, powerful way. And then I want to say thank you to your incredible pastor, Reverend Troy, for inviting me here today and being a part of this. So, <laughs> Now, I have a little inside information on, on him, but the good news is that it can be printed. It is fit to print. And that is back in 1996 when I first came to Houston, Texas from Richmond, Virginia. Didn't know anybody. Uh, didn't know any of the clergy in the area. Uh, Reverend Troy was at Bering at that time. And he was the first pastor in Houston to welcome me to Houston. And I want to say thank you for that, for making me feel at home then and feel at home today. Yeah. The stone has been rolled away, <laughs> and it's landed on the disciples. <laughs> That's what they feel like. When they signed up to follow Jesus, they did not know all that they had signed up for. They put down their nets, and they were ready for the ministry that they were called to through him. He was the radical rabbi. And they saw things in him that left them speechless, that filled their hearts. They saw his miracles. They saw his compassion for people. They saw his authority in teaching. He was the leader. He was the feeder. And as they followed him and his ministry, they said, this could just go on forever. They loved being his disciples. They didn't want anything to change. They wanted it to stay exactly as it was. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Go, Jesus. Yay, disciples. Go, team. Let's change the world. They were so captured by his ministry. They were in awe of him. And whenever he began to give them little hints that it might change, that things were going to get tough, they resisted. They said, oh, no, it, it can't be true. And in fact, as they began to try to pull him away from his ministry, Jesus flat out named it for what it was. He said, get behind me, Satan. I know where I am called to go. I know who I am called to be. I have a purpose true and a purpose bold, and we are going to go all the way where God is calling us to go. They couldn't fathom what that would be like. Then came Holy Week. As they entered the streets of Jerusalem, they heard the cheers of the crowd, but already in their spirit, they knew that something was shifting, that something was changing. They began to feel something inside themselves, and they were trying to identify it. It felt like fear. 
It felt like grief. It felt like loss that was coming on. It felt like something unexpected was about to hit them in the soul. Still, they were a team. They were together. They thought that together they could do anything. And then they were absolutely shocked when one in their midst betrayed Jesus. Best friend betrayed me. One of our own. How could this be? Their, their hearts were getting ripped out right in front of them. And they found themselves becoming empty and afraid, confused. Jesus said, stay with me, pray with me, when he was beginning to face his trial, and they fell asleep. <laughs> this is not who they saw themselves to be. They found their knees giving way, not to praying on their knees, but to collapsing on their knees. Then they couldn't believe it. They thought that somehow heaven would open, that Jesus surely wouldn't die. Surely he would go through this trial and come out of it victorious. But instead, they stood there with their hearts ripping out as they saw him unjustly tried, and then they saw him absolutely crushed, brutally. There was no justice there. It was a mixture of disappointment, fear, anger. Jesus, if you are who you are, call the angels to come and take you off this cross. And it didn't happen. The stone closed the tomb. And in today's scripture, they feel like it has landed on them. Yes, they've heard reports that Jesus has been resurrected and there's been these appearances but in today's scripture, it's clear that they are still in some kind of a post-resurrection fog of one sort or another. Not sure if it's true. Is it too good to be true? Was that really him that we saw? They don't recognize him for who he is, so there is something going on. Perhaps they are so exhausted that they just can't see clearly anymore. They can't even think of what move to make next. And you can hear them whispering on their breath, what now, we have nothing left. We're confused, we're disappointed, and mostly we are just tired. Follow me? Yeah, right. We saw where that following business led us. And boy, does it ever hurt. What now? It's at that moment of depletion and exhaustion that one of them gets an idea. Simon Peter, the leader who was denying, Peter who was the rock, who now feels like a pebble, who actually now feels like dust, <laughs> says, you know, let's just do what we know to do. Let's go fishing. <laughs> and those who feel like failures say, you know, we were pretty good fishers. Let's do that. And after all, we need to eat. So they go out there and they start fishing. The one thing they know to do when they're wiped out. And they fish, and they fish, and they fish. And probably for the first time in their lives, these expert fishers catch absolutely nothing. It's like job application after job application after job application after job application coming up empty. It's like conversation after conversation after conversation after conversation trying to heal a relationship and coming up empty. Imagine what's going through Peter the Rock's mind. I was the one who was to lead. I was Peter the Rock upon me. Jesus would build his church. 
and now I can't even fish. <laughs> wow. What now? They've pretty much given up. What else is there to do after you've given up? Well, the good news is the scene begins to change. And that what now question is answered in a surprising way. The first thing that happens is that Jesus speaks to them. They don't recognize him yet, but he says to them, Children, I see you have no fish. And when Jesus names their reality, they feel like someone is naming their situation. And they hear some sense of compassion in his voice. They haven't quite figured out what's going on yet. But in naming their reality, their hope begins to build. You have to know where you are to know where you want to go. And Jesus names where they are. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, you have no fish. I see your emptiness. So I'm here to help you. The first step is naming reality and knowing you need help. And they know they need help, and they're ready for it. And then Jesus, after calling them and naming their unsugar-coated reality, gives them some guidance. Cast your net to the other side. Now, probably the same thing is going on with them that often goes on with us when someone gives us advice. We immediately begin to resist. Maybe at this point, they're saying, okay, Jesus, you were a great leader. You're a great miracle worker, but what do you know about fishing? We have fished all night, and we have caught nothing. Their conventional wisdom would say, find another spot. Do something different. Go somewhere else. Jesus says, cast your net to the right side. And they listen. Listening opens the door to abundance. Because suddenly those who have fished all night finally follow the guidance of Jesus, receive his help, and soon their net is overflowing. Those who saw no possibilities, those who have fished all night, those who have tried and tried and tried and prayed and prayed and prayed are now looking at a full, abundant net. How amazing is that? <laughs> And now comes the best part of the scripture. Jesus has named their reality. He's given them direction, which they've actually followed. And you think maybe at this point he would call them back to their mission. He'd say, follow me, let's go change the world. <laughs> but he knows they're still tired. And to me, he says some of the most compassionate words recorded in any of the gospels. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. I have a fire already built. Yeah, let me, let me have some of that fish that you've caught. Here's some bread. Let's, let's put it together. Let's have a meal. And I can already imagine what the disciples are saying. Thank you. Thank you for not asking us to change the world again. <laughs> not yet. We're tired of trying to change the world. We've fished all night. We're grieving still. We don't know what's happening, but we do know we're hungry. And so I imagine that scene there on the beach, one of the most loving, compassionate scenes. He knew they were hungry, and he knew what they were hungering for. I love to picture this scene with the disciples and Jesus on the beach, passing that fish around. You can hear one of them say, mmm, wow, this is some really good mahi-mahi. 
Another says, I think I got some tilapia going on here. <laughs> but they taste it. And they know that God is good. And just a little bit, they become a, a little less frayed, become a little more full. That bread is like the best bread they've ever tasted in their life. And maybe they feel like Jesus really sees them for the first time. I mean, really, really sees them. And doesn't judge them in even the slightest way. I can hear Jesus say, have some more. Have another bite. I want you all to be really full. I want you to be more full than you've ever been. What next? What now? How about having breakfast for the single mother who's working two jobs and raising three kids? Jesus says, when's the last time you had breakfast? Come. I see what you're going through. Let's have breakfast. To that couple that fell in love 15 years ago, but somehow it's all become cold and icy and routine, and they wonder where the love is. Jesus says, come, let's the three of us have breakfast, and let's have a conversation here. We live in a world where there is so much connection, so much connectivity. We all have 2,000 friends on Facebook. Everywhere we go, we're communicating but we're not really stopping to have breakfast. We're not really stopping to look into each other's hearts and to see each other for who we really are. There is a deeper place beyond the tweets and the LinkedIn. It's that place of being really linked in. When's the last time you had breakfast? It doesn't have to be fish and bread. Yesterday morning, I had a chance to have a wonderful breakfast with your pastor, and we shared our hearts, and we talked, and prayed together, and I'm so proud of him. I know he's the right person for this church, appointed and anointed for this time and in your history. I know that. The last time I was here, we were in transition here at Resurrection MCC, and I joined you in praying for that one who God would call to come and be your pastor. And I said, pray at 1 o'clock every day for that one who will be your pastor, and that one is here. I feel it in my bones, and I know it, and I am so proud of you, and I am so proud of you. It was a great breakfast. He had a Snickers bar, and I had trail mix. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus knows we hunger. We hunger for something real. We hunger to relate. We're tired of being alone. We are called to change the world, yes, but only when we have been fed and only when we have connected. We can't change the world by ourselves. We really do need each other. And that's what Jesus was saying. So the what now is to be fed and then to go and feed. And that's what happens next. After they've had breakfast, then Jesus says, do you really love me? He calls them back to what really matters. 
three times in his conversation with Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you really love me? What's going on here? Is Jesus just being repetitive? No, Jesus is reinforcing what really, really matters, which is to get back to love every time things start to go amiss. Love is all that matters. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And hopefully Peter finally figures it out that love is all that matters. So after their nets are full, they've had breakfast, they've spent some time together, they've gotten back to love, then Jesus says again, follow me. Follow me through every mountain. Follow me through every valley. Follow me to unexpected places. I am not finished with you yet. And so from that place of fullness, now they can go and minister. It all comes down to leading and feeding and loving. It's all that matters. If you look at all four Gospels, there's one thing you'll notice. There is not one time when the disciples catch fish without Jesus' help. <laughs> so that's what we need. We're now at the end of the Gospel of John. The story ends with breakfast, the invitation to follow, and the question is still there, what now? I think the answer to that question is in the very last words of the Gospel of John. I think this is one of the most intriguing verses in all of scriptures. Here's what it says. There are also many things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Looking at this intriguing scripture, I found myself wondering, I wonder what else Jesus did. I wish it had been written down. And I found myself speculating, what was that about? And then it occurred to me, those books are still being written. Being written by Jesus and the followers of Jesus. And so the good news for Resurrection MCC is that for 30, 43 years, you have been writing one of these books of Jesus. And I have a title for it. This book, continuing the works of Jesus, is this, The Acts of Love of Resurrection MCC. And for 43 years, you have been writing The Acts of Love. Yes, we have The Acts of the Apostles. It's recorded in the canon in the New Testament. But you continue to write that New Testament. You are writing The Acts of Love of Resurrection MCC. Oh, back in that small apartment in Montrose, you began to write the first chapter of that book. It was a chapter beyond fear. It was a chapter of people gathering together saying, you know, the other churches may not accept us. Others may say that we are sick and twisted, but we are together as God's people with a purpose true and a purpose bold. We are ready to write a new chapter and a new book to tell the world that our God is a God of unconditional love. The Acts of Love of Resurrection MCC, they continued on Joanne Street. When you found your first facility, Reverend Jerry Ann Harvey was there, and boy, was she one touch, tough pastor. <laughs> Early on in the ministry, she got a phone call from the Ku Klux Klan, death threat. Then there was a cross burned on the yard of Resurrection MCC. That could have been the final chapter if Resurrection MCC had turned around and run away, but Resurrection MCC refused to turn around and refused to turn away. 
while I was pastoring at Decatur Street, Jerry Ann Harvey came back, and I asked her about that. I said, what were you feeling inside? And I thought she might say that she was afraid. And she said, I was not afraid. I was angry. I was not going to let the Ku Klux Klan make us afraid or drive us away. She was angry. She was defiant. She said, Resurrection MCC is here to write a story, and no one's going to take the pen away from us. We are going to write our future. We couldn't predict what was ahead. The congregation grew and moved to Decatur Street, and in the 80s, under the ministry of Chuck Larson, we were hit with age like you wouldn't believe. As Reverend Terry, Troy Perry tells the story, Resurrection MCC was the most impacted congregation initially in the story of HIV and AIDS, more so than San Francisco and L.A. The leadership here was devastated. Chuck Larson sometimes was doing so many funerals during the week that he couldn't lead a board meeting, so the board had to do some of that work while he was out pastoring and ministering. Other churches in Houston, at first they would refuse to minister to people living with HIV and AIDS, and when they did, they wore gloves and masks and gowns. Resurrection was the first one there. And resurrection said, we don't know all about this, but we know that we're not afraid. We know that God is greater than AIDS. And so we went in there, not with gloves and mask and gown, but with open hearts and open hands, offering that touch and that love and that grace and that mercy. And our lesbian sisters, they didn't say this is a gay male disease, this is a gay men's disease. They said this is a human disease and we are here to minister and to love. So thank you to our sisters for your courage and your bravery. HIV and AIDS, we wrote a chapter about God being greater than AIDS in the book of love, the Acts of Resurrection, MCC. John Gill came on to continue to offer ministry in the midst of this devastating season, offering love and compassion. He built such great maturity and discipline and faithfulness and love, and much of that character continues today. You are continuing to live the chapter that he began to write through his ministry. And Reverend Carolyn, wow, what an amazing heart. Just a great big giant heart. (laughs) She worked from morning to night writing the chapter about unconditional love. One of the most non-judgmental people I've ever met. One of the things I loved about Reverend Carolyn is when things got tough and we faced that mountain or when we felt that stone had landed on us, she would come up singing every time. (laughs) She would throw back her head and sing. God continued to guide Resurrection MCC, and many of you today are still writing that story. When we had the faith to know that we needed to move to a different location so we could expand our ministries, we couldn't afford it all. Your board of directors at that time, every single one of them, signed a note saying they stood by that loan. They put their own resources at risk for our future. So thank you to the board of directors that have been writing the stories through the years, a story of generosity and a story of faith. We knew that God was going to do great things here at Resurrection MCC, that God was going to do amazing things through our story. Eleven months of ministry, and then Tropical Storm Allison hit. The water was up to here. Where you're sitting now was covered in water. Our music pastor at the time, Mark Unbehagen, was here. He was spending the night. He was working late. He was asleep on the floor way back in the back. What woke him up was the water starting to rise around him. He didn't know what was going on, but when he got up, he saw that there were cars stranded out in front of the building. There were cars over here. He called people, invited them in. 
He said, welcome to higher ground. Welcome to Resurrection MCC. You're at the right place today. And they ended up right up here where the waters couldn't reach. People coming together because of the flood. There were over 30 people stranded here who'd never met each other until Tropical Storm Allison. Their clothes were wet. Their clothes were dirty. So Mark went looking around to give them something to wear. And what he found was years of old pride t-shirts. So everyone who was stranded here for Tropical Storm Allison had a new t-shirt. Resurrection pride. God is still writing the story, and God will write the story through the leadership that's here now, through the vision that God gives for you. I think when those disciples were having breakfast that morning, they remembered a verse they learned in Sunday school because they were steeped in the Psalms. And the verse goes like this, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I think when they broke that bread and they ate that fish, they saw the sun rising. It was a resurrection sunrise. It was a resurrection light. It was the new light breaking through. So for any of you today who feel like your story is mostly full of tears, know that God has held every one of your tears, that God has been with you every moment. God has been with you on the mountain. God has been with you in the valley. Tears last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So taste and know that God is good. Take time for breakfast. Take time to get full again. Take time to be the church that God is calling you to be. Our world needs churches like Resurrection MCC that believes in an unconditionally loving, non-judgmental God. Our church needs people who will tie into that vision and be a part of what God is doing now. It is morning resurrection MCC. Tears may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Did I hear somebody say, it's morning? Did I hear somebody say, yes? yes, it is morning, MCC, and joy is here. Amen and amen.